Welcome to the Money Spot, the place where we answer your money questions. I'm your host, Heather Katonga Woodward, and in this week's episode, Harriet asks a question about getting a will in place. Hi, Heather. My name's Harriet. Thanks for the UK Focus Personal Finance Podcast. I feel slightly worried that I don't have a will because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I have children and some assets and I want to go about getting a will in place in the right way. Please tell me what I need to think about so I get my will done correctly from the get-go. Thanks a million. Thank you for such a great and topical question, Harriet. Because wills are such a specialist topic, I decided to get an expert in the form of Julia Fleetwood to come and help me answer all the questions I have been getting about wills. Enjoy the discussion that Julia and I had. Hey, Julia, how are you? Hi, good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I was getting a lot of questions about wills and will writing. And then I got your flyer through the door explaining that you have a will writing service. And I got in touch uh, because there are lots of questions that I feel my podcast audience would would love to to have answered. And you've kindly agreed to come on. Um, Firstly, I thought you could give us a little bit of background. My research suggests you started off in sales, did that for about six years, and then you've been doing will writing for about five years. How did you move from sales to will writing? A great question. Okay, I was working in sales and the company I was working for moved into products related to later life planning, such as funeral plans. And this was quite an interesting area, something from un- I was unfamiliar with. A lady I was working with was uh, previously a financial advisor. And she said uh, there was a lot to this subject and it fell into a category called estate planning. Mm. So I researched it and I found it really interesting. So she and I actually uh, started to work together as estate planning consultants. And I embarked upon my training. Um, I did some, some basic training and that was the start of it. Fantastic. Thanks for the background. Uh, shall we start off with what is a will for a person who has never really thought about wills? What are they designed to do? Great. Okay, so a will, uh, also known as a last will and testament, this is a document which basically uh, testifies, if you like, attests to what a person wishes to have happen with their estate after they've passed on. It's last is used because a person could write many wills in their lifetime but the only one which would be legally valid would be the last one that they wrote. Um, And it really is a statement of intention, desire, or wish as to what happens with one's estate. Okay. That's Mm. not straightforward enough. Uh, When I die, I want certain things done and I'll put them in a will. Exactly. Yeah. Do you need a will if you don't have children? I always thought you probably only need them when there's people depending on you. Why would a person who doesn't have children want to write a will? Well, nowadays, Heather, a lot of people are making a decision uh, not to have children or for some reason they're not able to have children. However, they still have created um, a life with a career in many cases where 
they have over the years managed to accrue um, certain items, monetary savings, property, and it really is important for a person, even without children, to decide where they wish for that to go because otherwise uh, it could go nowhere or it could end up going to the state or they could end up paying a lot of tax. Um, all these things would apply to people uh, who have not made a will even if they don't have children. So I always suggest to people that they, they give some thought as to the legacy they wish to leave. And um, for example, many people nowadays are leaving their estates to charities if they don't have children. Mm, mm. That seems like a natural thing to, to want to do. Uh, a charity that you're into is a little bit better than the government. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a person may, may choose to um, leave a legacy for their community, uh, for the local community. But in many cases, private charities, especially smaller charities, are becoming beneficiaries of generous gifts in people's wills. Um, and additionally, people who don't have children will often have their own special people in their lives who they've elected to leave part of their estate to. Um, in fact, you know, a client of mine who doesn't have children recently left her estate to I think approximately 34 individuals who'd had a significant impact in her life ranging from colleagues, neighbors, friends, friends, children, um, quite a long list. So, you, you know, <laughs> there's no limit to what you can do. That's impressive. I think that really mm. answers my next question, which was um, whether you need a will if you are below the inheritance tax threshold, which by your answer suggests uh, you do because it's about where you want the money to go um, rather than to do with tax issues necessarily. Yes, absolutely. The first and primary objective of a will is to des uh, designate where you wish for your estate. And by that, I mean anything you own, not just property, but possessions, money, etc., where you want that to go. And given that the inheritance tax threshold is a fairly significant amount, a person who has got, for example, £250,000 estate wouldn't have an inheritance tax liability but if they didn't have a will then there would be two hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of property money etc left open to be taken by well to be honest a process called intestacy which is what happens when a person doesn't have a will which is a government procedure where they would actually try to determine who should benefit from your estate and find some distant relative in some cases so Absolutely, for sure. If a person is below the inheritance tax threshold, they should always make a will. Great. You've answered my next question in that, which was, what happens ah. <laughs> without a will? Uh, although mm. I, have, I have some idea of this because I love watching that show on TV, Air Hunters. Do you, have you ever Air Hunters. Yes, absolutely. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the persons who feature in that program have obviously led lives um, you know, without giving much thought to the future. And I, I can think of examples where if a person dies without a will, the local authority have the right to step in. Mm -hmm. They have the right at that point to run a procedure called intestacy, where they have to do an extensive research into the person's bloodlines. Mm -hmm. They have to find out whether they have any relatives, even ones they may ne never have met, 
And the procedure of intestacy takes a lot of time and a lot of admin, which costs a lot of money. Mm. So it's not avoidable. And even if people don't make a will because they think, oh, well, it will go to my wife and children. It may well go to the wife and children or the husband and children, but they still would have to have it go through intestacy. So either which way, in the extreme cases such as air hunters or in the, you know, cases where people just simply didn't bother to make a will thinking they didn't need to, there is still going to be the intestacy procedure. So again, very advisable to avoid and, uh, and definitely make one. So if I didn't have a will and I died... How long would my husband and children have to wait for this whole intestacy process to take place? Well, intestacy obviously will depend upon the um, complexity or simplicity of, of the case. In your case, for example, it wouldn't necessarily take too long. Although, for example, if a person has a will and everything runs smoothly in terms of the estate administration with a will, you could look at six to eight weeks process. If you add intestacy onto that, you could be looking at another two to three months on a simple case. Mm. With a complicated case, you could be looking at well over a year to two years. Oh my gosh. Mm. Ah, anyone listening, get a will. Get a will if you don't want your family to be waiting for ages for that money, especially if they've got university fees or other important expenses. Absolutely. Now, this brings me to the practicalities of producing a will. Yeah. Um, I've seen that there are several ways you can create a will. I can just download a template from the internet, fill it up, get a couple of witnesses and sign it. I don't even have to do that. I can just scribble my, my, my wishes onto a, a piece of paper in my house. Or I could use a solicitor. Or I could use a practitioner, a will practitioner like yourself. Can you tell me a bit about how each of these routes is different, especially what the disadvantages might be? for each one of these four options? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so yes, you're right. A person could do will themselves. They could download a template. They could go to the post office or a stationery shop and buy a do-it-yourself will kit. I have seen these done. I've seen them done very badly. I've seen them done with vital information omitted, such as the signatures. Um, I've seen examples where the will has been done and kept in a very not not looked after and not in pristine condition which you know crinkled up piece of paper which could be questioned could be challenged the the, the thing about doing a will yourself is unless you have a practitioner or solicitor check that it's absolutely rock solid it lies it, it leaves it open to question and the lack of certification of a professional does leave that you know the greater risk for the person the other thing is just as a point when a will is executed meaning dealt with after the fact of the person passing away the legal procedure is done again it's a legal procedure a government procedure called probate which is to verify the validity of the will and to measure the worth of the person's estate and this is done in many cases if the will has any question mark about it again it can add a lot of time and a lot of complexity to the case drag it out and make it last a lot longer for the relatives to get the estate to get the money now doing it with a solicitor is a good idea 
However, you do, generally you will pay a higher fee because the solicitor in the main deals with a lot of different areas of law. They don't necessarily specialize in estate planning or wills. It will just be one of the many things that they do. And they will charge an hourly fee. So you could pay sometimes a significant sum for just a will. Now, when you use an estate planning consultant or a legal practitioner such as myself who specializes only in this area, we fall under a different category. So I myself am not a solicitor in all areas of law. I specialize in this area, which means we can give very up-to-date advice. There's a lot of regulation changes that can happen, which it's important to be aware of. We can deliver a will very speedily and efficiently. Um, as we keep up to date with all the different software changes in terms of creating wills. And it can be dealt with in a way that is less costly as well compared to a solicitor. So that would be the major difference. Great. You, you said to me uh, something that I really didn't know, which was that in addition to the upfront cost of a will, the solicitor can make it such that they are the executor of the will and that would entail your family having to use that solicitor and pay them whatever charges they've put uh, on that? How, how can you go about finding out if this is your situation? If you already have a will, is it a, just a matter of checking who the executor is? And if you do find that your solicitor is the executor, where do you go to find out what their costs are going to be at the point of your death? That's a great question. So first things first, you would check the will that you have. And every solicitor who makes a will for a client should give a copy of that will to the client. So you should have a copy will. Upon looking at the copy will, usually in the top section of the first page, it will state who the executors are. And it will state whether the solicitors named themselves or their firm as an executor. It's happening less and less now because it was found that people weren't aware this was happening. And when the family eventually went to the solicitor to get the original will, after their loved one had passed away, they were finding that solicitor could literally take charge of the entire administrative process after the deceased person died. And because they were nominated as executor, they could literally charge whatever fees they wish to charge. And the family wouldn't have any grounds to argue because the person was obviously deceased. So, the way to go about handling that would be certainly with one's parents or grandparents, if they made a will some time ago, to get them to verify this point, to then suggest to them possibly amending the will so that the solicitor's not an executor. Also, taking the will and asking the solicitor for a transparent uh, statement of their fees, of what the charges would be, because the family wouldn't be obligated to use that solicitor if they weren't named as an executor. They could use anybody to help them do the administrative process, albeit legal practitioners like ourselves, a different solicitor that charges a lower fee, or if they want to, they could do all the administrative process themselves, which would save them a lot of money. Go on. Oh, sorry. I, sorry, I cut you off. I was just making sure that we know what executor means. I realize we've just gone into using quite a technical term without yes. explaining what it is. <laughs> and I'm not even sure mm. I know exactly what it is. Is it just the administrator? Well, it, it, the executor is the person who executes the intentions of the person who made the will. And normally you would have at least two executors. Um, because obviously if 
you nominated one and they passed away before you, then the will is completely null and void. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And your executors can be anybody. Mm. A common misconception is that the executors cannot be the people to whom you're leaving your estate. That's untrue. You can make, if your children are over 18, mm. often what happens is people will make their children the executors and their children will also be the beneficiaries. So it's in their interest to do all the work involved in doing the role of executor. Mm. Okay. Understood. Mm. Now, because people are going to be thinking this right about now, what are the cost differences between each of these options? I guess the template thing is free. So it comes down yes. to the cost difference between a solicitor and a will practitioner on average. On average. Okay. I can only speak from my own experience and I won't name any names. I'm based in the Birmingham area and I have clients who were quoted prices for wills from a couple of reasonably large firms not city center firms but local high street firms in the Birmingham area one client was given the quote of 250 pound plus VAT for a pretty simple will our firm would charge 120 pounds plus VAT for the same exact will um, and it goes the same for the other firm very similar pricing However, you're looking at solicitors who are fully qualified will often charge 200 to 250 pounds an hour for their work, which would suggest that the time taken to complete the will would be an hour or so of work. Although it really depends because if a person has a complicated will, it can certainly take a lot more time and a lot more work, at which point the solicitor might add on additional fees. Whereas with ourselves, we have a very transparent fee structure for different types of will. We're very upfront, you know, additional costs, even for a sort of what we call a family will, which is a bit more complex, which involves guardianship of children and so on. Mm. We would still charge for a couple, mm. for two wills, uh, 200 and I think it's 264 altogether for the two wills, including guardianship. Is that 264 plus that? I'd have to verify. I think that would be, I can tell you, just one second, sorry. I yeah, while you're looking that up, head. that's an interesting one. Yeah. When my husband and I got our wills done, he charged, mm. he charged 250 plus VAT each. But each, right, well. Exactly uh, an inverse. The same. Order. Yeah. So right, it's called a mirrored will. So for a family will, yeah. which would be the type of will you probably have, we would charge for the couple, as in both wills, £220 plus VAT. So 264 would be the total fee. Oh, my goodness. I actually need my will updated. So I am probably yeah. your way very soon. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. I mean, it is with that. And, and additional, additionally, actually, I'll tell you, Heather, one thing as, uh, as well I've observed. Mm. Um, a friend of mine did her will through a different will writing firm so not solicitors uh, she found them on the internet they charged a similar fee to ourselves however when it came to the signing of the paperwork after the initial consultation she was sent the original forms with tabs telling her where to sign and what to get signed our firm as a, a, a you know national standard with our consultants around the uk we have about 40 consultants now around the uk 
our pricing includes taking the will back to the client and assisting them and ensuring that the will is signed and witnessed correctly. Mm. That's a really important point and part of our service. That's a good thing to know. Mm. Um, There's another thing I'm curious about with regards to wills. When we got our will done, I had a lot of things that I wanted done if I died before my children are adults. And these were separated out into something called a letter of wishes. What's the difference between the well and the letter of wishes? Why do you need both? Why can't it all just go into the well? Right. Great question. So a letter of wishes usually will relate to very specific things that really pertain to the time period of that current moment. So, for example, in 15 years time, that letter of wishes will probably be invalid because the children will be over 18. Now, in a will, ideally, a good will will be one that will stand the test of time because even if there's a clause in it that says what would happen to your children if something happened to you when they were young, that would be taken care of within the will. But if, for example, you have two children and the estate ultimately is going to be left equally between the two children, Mm -hmm. that will doesn't need to be amended. The letter of wishes is something that can be amended monthly, annually, yearly. For example, a lady I just did one for, she's had a really big fallout with one of her children. I hope they're going to resolve that. Mm. However, she's chosen to exclude that person from the will. But the reasoning for it and the specifics on it are in the letter of wishes. Mm. And it will take a lot for her to change her mind, but she will absolutely be able to amend that letter of wishes as often as needed. I see. But if she changed her mind and decided to include her child again, she would have to change the will. That's right. Okay. Wow, that's sad when that happens. Okay, now I I get that. I thought that the letter of wishes was essentially stuff that was optional because my my letter of wishes had stuff like, when they're 14, I want them to take a plumbing course. And if at that time my kid said they don't want to do a plumbing course, then I guess it would be something they're not forced to do. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, that's, you can be amazingly specific with, um, with a letter of wishes mm-hmm. and you, you don't want to be a specific in a will. And for example, even if it's items, like for example, let's say someone has a lot of different items that they want to leave. Mm-hmm. We call it in a will chattels, which is an old fashioned word for possessions or items. Mm-hmm. If one of those items, you know, the word, it's one of my favorites. In tax, chattels, um, wasting chattels for things like cars, and I find right. it a graphic and interesting term. Yeah, go on. It's funny, isn't it? Um, so basically, if for example somebody had an earrings, jewelry, a ring, and they had all these items in their will, hmm. if unfortunately while they were on a holiday, they sadly lost one of the earrings, it fell down the drain, and they never were able to get it back. Mm-hmm. If they'd left those earrings specifically in a will, the entire will could be voided because those earrings aren't accountable. <laughs> what? So, yeah. So it's it's it, you have to you have to be. If someone just says all my gold jewelry to my daughter, mm-hmm. 
Mm. Well, then it, it doesn't specify. So then it could be anything that the, the executors find at the time mm. that constitutes the description. But if a person wants to make specific descriptions, such as the antique dresser that was a gift from my aunt, mm. you know, you have to ideally leave those in a separate letter or uh, also what's called a memorandum of wishes mm. rather than in the will itself. I didn't know Interesting. that at all. Yeah. The letter of wishes is also something that can be handwritten by the person themselves. They can do it entirely themselves and it can sit with the will and it doesn't have to be witnessed in the same way. Okay. Okay. But what prevents, uh, does that need witnesses as well? Each time you update your letter of wishes. So that Nope. It doesn't, doesn't need a, doesn't need a witness at all. So what stops people from just making something up and saying, oh, yeah, this is my mom's letter of wishes. I know she has a will, but this is her letter of wishes. Well, this is where it comes down to trust. Mm. And this is where it comes down to deciding where to keep one's will. Mm. If a person uses a solicitor, often a person will store the will with the solicitor. Although that does somewhat bind the family to using that solicitor down the line, whether they're executors or not, because the executor might just say, well, we've got the will here. We'll do the admin. Yeah. With our firm, what we suggest is when people have done their will and they've written their letter of wishes, if they choose to write themselves or, or we write it for them and they sign it, mm -hmm. we recommend that we keep those in safe storage mm -hmm. away from the property with 24 hour access where the client sent a little card and a certificate of safe, safe storage. Mm. So in that way, we know that the ultimate and final wishes of the person are kept safely put away mm. and nothing can replace those. Okay. That's, that's good knowledge as well for anyone writing letters of wishes. Keep them with the uh, will writer so that they're all safe. Now, Definitely. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing that is starting to crop up is digital assets. Are people yes. starting to add stuff like their social media accounts, emails, Google storage, Dropbox storage, and things like that to their will? Because I've heard of cases of people not being allowed access to their husband's photos because Google says they own them, essentially. Wow. I mean, that is a really good question. And I've come across it more in a different area, a different subject, which we'll probably come to, which is um, power of attorney, which we'll talk about. As yet, because my average client base until quite recently has been people over the age of 70, it's not something that has been massively you know important yeah. for those people not prevalent no it, it it's something that i would imagine for uh, younger people people who are you know the sort of the generation down are going to have more of an interest in resolving and it's something that really when people get towards an age and they're planning for the future it would always be advisable at that point to share with their executors or a trusted person their login details for the various accounts, um, their passwords for their various accounts, mm. because otherwise there's going to be a problem after the fact. Mm. But it, it, it's something that can go in a will and you can leave your digital assets in a will most definitely, but it's, it's a case of then accessing those digital assets after. Because right now, for example, 
I use an iPhone, which uses facial recognition, mm. um, which makes it even not important for me to know the passwords off by heart for all my different apps and, and uh, social media accounts. Mm. So there's no one else that would ever be able to access those if something happened to me. So it is important to think about that. Yeah, and I suppose giving someone the ability to inherit your digital assets offers some protection. So if you have a will that's been properly witnessed and you take it to Google and say, I know this person has their photos with you, but now I am the legal owner, so you legally need to give them to to me. It's some level of protection. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure, I'm sure this will become a lot more discussed as a topic over the coming years as this starts to happen more and more because I don't know what rights Google for example or Facebook would have to pass on that data I mean technically once they're on the world wide web then one could say they're anybody's but you know the actual ownership and legal rights Mm. it ought to be possible to leave those and um, and I think that's going to happen more and more as time goes on Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Now a Mm. question that's been, it's bugged me a few times, which is when you die, how can you make sure your family know that you actually a have a will and b where they can find it? So that is really very important because if a person's on a will and they've hidden it away in a safe place and nobody knows about it, Mm. if it's not found, well, that will will not be executed and the case will go to intestacy Mm. so the first thing i always suggest to anyone who makes a will is you must tell your executors Mm. that they are executors and you must tell them where your original will is going to be kept Mm. some parents give their will to their child and say this is going to be for you to deal with so you need to take good care of it Some people choose to use a remote storage facility. And in our case, we provide clients with a little card Mm. which has the contact information, the registration number of the safe where their will is kept, Mm. and a certificate stating what is inside that safe. Mm. So the person could keep that card on their person at all times. They could give that card to their executors and say, you'll be needing this someday. But it's very important to make sure that you tell the executors, not so much the beneficiaries, because a lot of people don't want their beneficiaries to know they've even been left in the will. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If you give your kid your will to look after, does that mean they can read it? Or do you put it in an envelope and say, you can't open this envelope, darling. But the day that I die, open it. <laughs> that just increases levels of curiosity. Absolutely. And I think in, in many cases where families are, you know, not complex and they everyone knows, you know, the mum and dad and the two kids and it's all very straightforward, the parents wouldn't really mind if the children saw the will because they know it's just, well, we're leaving everything equally between you guys. However, in cases where it's not quite so cut and dried, then it would normally be advisable for the will to be kept somewhere safely out of the way. I had one lady, in fact, a former colleague of mine, she was quite funny. She she has one son and she said he wasn't very responsible, but ultimately he was going to need to know about the will. Mm. So she bought a box 
like a safe box and she hid it in the back of the wardrobe under the shoes and she put a big sticker of a skull and crossbone on the box and she referred to it as her death box and she said well it's going to be fairly easy for him to find that when the time comes I thought well yeah fair enough because <laughs> mm, each, each to their own yeah they'll be clearing out the room and they'll be like oh death box what's this right right so you know that's quite an extreme case but I would generally recommend that it is safer to store your will remotely it's covered under insurance you know you know liability and you know professional indemnity insurances etc and it just gives your family someone to go to when the time comes to to get the will from and to ask for help if needed yeah I find that approach so risky I mean I've even already told told my son that you keep money in the bank because rats can eat it, a or it can be ruined by fire or flood. If if that house is you know subject to any sort of natural disaster, that's the death box gone. Exactly, and once it's gone, that is it because the the only valid valid will is the original document, and this is such an interesting point because when you look at the modern world we live in. Mm. everything is electronic mm. you can have bank accounts where you never even go in there mm. you know they're phasing out checkbooks you know human interaction is becoming such a premium especially with what's happened with the um, COVID-19 situation mm. yet when it comes to this area it's so archaic mm. and I don't think it will ever change in fact even witnessing wills for example mm. there was a whole question over whether or not you could witness wills over a video call mm. and it was deemed not legal to do so that's how archaic this area of the law is so that document that few pieces of paper is worth the 264 pounds which was spent on it so it is is as important to know how to store it as it is to actually make one geez no that is a critical point that i even didn't realize mm. I not now we move to the power, the power of attorney. What is a yeah. power of attorney? I've got to admit that I don't have one of these because I've seen them as something that you only need when you're like 65, 70. What mm. is it? Right. It's a really interesting document. Again, it's a government document which practitioners like myself will assist people to create because it's not easy to create it, although one can look online and find out how to go about getting one put together. The document is granting power to another person or other people whom one would wish to make decisions on their behalf if they weren't able to do so. For example, an older couple, a husband and wife, the wife has a fall one day and bangs her head she starts to lose her mental capacity quite rapidly after the incident. The husband luckily has the power of attorney document, which has been signed, pre-prepared, registered. From that point forward, he can access her money. He can draw money from her ISA for items that maybe they need to adapt their house with. He can contact any organizations that have her name only. Maybe she has like thousands of nectar points. Maybe she has subscriptions to magazines which she no longer needs small things large things mm. things like dvla tax pension anything that's in a person's sole name mm. will not 
be immediately under the control of the spouse even if they've been married for 50 years makes no odds there's no control over accessing or making decisions regarding those accounts without a power of attorney now accidents can happen and it's obviously less of a risk for someone who's younger but I've known people where in the 40s, the husband or wife has suddenly had a heart attack or a stroke. 40? And if they survive, yeah, I mean, it's not common, but I, I, I can think of two instances where sadly, both of these people were suddenly taken ill by, by these freak health situations. If a person comes out of that situation alive, but they're not in a fit state to actually carry on living their life as normal, then the only option is for their partner to have a power of attorney. Now, for elderly people, like my mom asked me the other day, in fact, she has a partner, she's divorcee, she's got a partner for 10 years, they are very happy together, he has children, she has children, they're not married, and they are as good as married. So she said, I'm going to get a power of attorney, and I want to make him the power of attorney, but do I need a second one? I said, well, sure you do, because what if you both grow old together, you're both in your 80s, you both become fragile and infirm, you're not going to be able to do anything for the other. So at that point, you would want either my brother or myself, or he would choose his children to step in and manage their affairs. So it's, in my opinion, it's as important as a will, because it protects against any situation that could arise during a person's lifetime. And another thing is with the lasting power of attorney, I'm assuming before it's activated, someone will do some kind of mental capacity assessment to say, yeah, okay, this person is not able to make their own decisions. So this LPA needs to start being used. Used. Yes, indeed. So, and the funny thing though is, If I made one, for example, right now, where I have full mental capacity, Mm. if I chose to register my own lasting power of attorney now Mm -hmm. and give my husband that power, Mm -hmm. even though I'm capable of making decisions, I can still allow him the right to do so on my behalf. Mm. So if I had to go off off on a trip for three months to work on a project, a charity project and I decided to do that and I knew that things would need to be dealt with in my absence mm-hmm. I could still activate and give my my husband that power mm-hmm. to make decisions regards my accounts and so on while I'm away mm-hmm. so uh, it can be used for other things would that one be called a limited power of attorney yeah or general power of attorney that's uh-huh. right um, but the lasting power of attorney it's a moot point if a person is losing mental capacity Mm. but they haven't completely lost mental capacity Mm. then they themselves can choose to activate their power of attorney and have it be used if a person has one Mm. and they suddenly lose mental capacity for example the person that falls down and slips and bangs their head and they have the document Mm. at that point they've gone past the point of no return. They can't make decisions for themselves. Mm. There's no real capacity test needed. The spouse can simply activate with proof of the situation and they can go about using the power of attorney. 
you've convinced me i'm getting one i don't care what wow. says i'm brilliant. the lasting power of attorney brilliant and my in my view heather it's like an insurance policy but the good thing about it is once you have it you have it yeah. you would never need to renew it it's done once in your life you yeah. keep it safely stored away mm. and and there'll be no you know government change to it it mm. will remain as it is Mm. and it will work for your entire lifetime so it's a really good investment in my opinion how much do they cost speaking of investments mm. so again price wise can vary wildly depending on from whom you get to assist you with creating one our firm have a charge of 250 pound plus VAT mm. to draw up the power of attorney mm. if a person cho uh, chooses to do a power of attorney for both their property and financial affairs and their health and welfare which is a different power of attorney there's two types yeah. then we give a 10% discount for the two mm. and if we have a couple that choose to do them again we give a further discount I think overall it's about 15% for all of them together a solicitor again I'm not going to say who I recently saw their price list when I went to visit a client they'd been uh, quoted by the solicitor mm. just to do the two powers of attorney for property finance and health and welfare mm. they were being quoted just shy of including that just shy of 1500 pounds what seriously <laughs> and, and seriously. was 1500 for two people so. no it was for it was for one person to have two power of attorney so for example including that mm. for me to give a couple all of the power of attorneys i think it's 1080 pounds 1080 mm. something like that mm. including that the solicitor was charging including that just shy of 1500 for one person to have the two types wow so ridiculous and and the funny thing is there's no difference in the document it's exactly the same document Right, great. So, so um, would that mean if you had two people, a husband and a wife, who wanted the two powers of attorney, would that mm -hmm. be 1,080 times two, or is this where the dis discount comes in? No, 1,080 altogether. For two people? Check. Yeah, 1,080 for everything. For two people to get two times so you're talking about four individual documents two each for the couple including VAT is 1080 and that includes all the signatures it also includes something very important actually which is a certificate provider who is the person who has to sign to say that at the time of the creation of the document mm. the people that were making them were of sound mind mm. so I and all our consultants in our firm have got that legal status. We can be certificate providers. So that's included within the price. Great. You know, and people who try to do them themselves, they often go to their GP or to a solicitor to ask them to be the certificate provider. By the time they've gone and done that, mm. they end up paying quite a bit of money. So mm. it's not mean? that worthwhile. For that the G yeah the GP can charge unless you know them really well or they're a family friend which is totally fine they can do it but a GP will charge and it's not the same it's not a fixed fee it's whatever they feel like charging ah 
And one final thing, just to check mm. on the general power of attorney, also known as a limited power of attorney, does it have a maturity date? So if you are going on your three month holiday, would it just expire on the date you expected to come back? Or do you have to sort of pause it when you come back? So yeah, the person themselves would request it ending. It wouldn't have an automatic end. You'd have to, I believe, send off a form or submit some kind of document to confirm that you no longer wanted it to be active. Mm, okay. And then I, I've got a few last questions and I think these ones are sure. be a bit more complex and we might need another call for them. But sure. If you had wealth above the inheritance tax threshold, which is I think about a million, how hmm. can you set up a trust so say the proceeds of that life insurance claim go straight into a trust and you don't pay tax on your life insurance? Right. Well, that is a good question. And to be quite truthful, it does fall more into the realm of financial advice. Hmm. And as a disclaimer, that's not what I'm qualified to advise on. So I will give you my sort of nominal knowledge on this, but I would absolutely recommend someone speak to a financial advisor if they if they have that problem or they're trying to create that trust mm. but essentially it is possible to do that and i know for example a friend of mine recently had um, a life insurance set up mm. and she was asked by the insurer mm. if she wanted that money to go into a trust mm. and for whom it would be entrusted to mm. so it's something that can be dealt with directly through the insurer and it's perfectly legitimate. I think some people have actually set these types of insurances up to pay the costs of the inheritance tax bill, which they're anticipating to have. Mm. So they have that money, which obviously, you know, let's say it's going to be a 60,000 pound bill or something. Mm. Hopefully not that much if they've been clever and careful and so on, but, that money can be immediately put into a trust mm. to be used for a specific purpose. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the problem is I have had that offer from my life insurance company and then that's something mm. you need to fill in, but it's really not that clear how you fill it in correctly. Um, yes, they aren't clear. And I, it's something that I would either speak to a, an independent financial advisor about because they could actually give you then also more of a comprehensive view of any other products on the market or, or you know if there's anything else that's worthwhile and help you fill in the forms because often really these forms can be complex and, and it's more about making sure that they're filled in correctly than anything else yeah, I, I'm going to speak to the person that sold us that insurance policy because they are a financial advisor and they got paid for signing up that insurance policy. So they should be willing right. to work for it. Absolutely. It's just a, it's a point to follow through. And it's like this point with the will where our firm 100% will always make sure we see it through to a final end, mm. which is making sure all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, so then you know you've done that service with integrity and you've given the person what they need from start to finish. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Julia. Um, I think you're very welcome. Everyone, a lot of food for thought because I think nowadays a lot of people are on board with the life insurance thing and are getting life insurance. Definitely. But far fewer have wills, I think. I don't know the stats, so don't quote me. But I would just say that fewer people have wills than those that have life insurance. 
it's very true and certainly even i think statistically only a third of people in the country have a will um and i frequently still meet people who are well into their retirement years and they don't have a will but absolutely everyone should have a will every time a person puts money into their savings account every time a person pays a payment to their mortgage every time they invest in a beautiful item for their home or jewelry something the rewards of their hard work they have to think about where they want that to go and just to end a very funny meme that i saw on the internet the other day i'm not going to say the whole thing but basically the idea that just because you talk about something doesn't mean it's going to happen you know mm. just because someone talks about death doesn't mean they're going to die the next day and i think a lot of people have a fear that oh i don't want to talk about that but i actually think the opposite i think that the more one prepares for every single eventuality Mm-hmm. the less likely they are to come unstuck i i so we that. like yeah like now that i have insurance and a will i don't care if i die everything's in order but now that it's all in order it's not going to happen but if i didn't have it in right order- <laughs> if you didn't have it in order you'd be worried and you'd be more like to have attention on it and to be thinking what if what if mm. and the thing is if the recent times have taught us anything it's that we really have to not take life for granted we have to appreciate so much what we have mm-hmm. and why we're doing what we're doing mm-hmm. and ultimately most people have a purpose mm-hmm. a reason a drive for why they're living and what they're living for yeah. and ultimately we all know whatever our beliefs of what happens after we go one thing we can all agree upon is that you know the human body has a shelf life mm-hmm. so one has to take that into account and be responsible about it for the sake of their family their loved ones and once it's all been dealt with i'm quite sure people will be much happier knowing that they don't have to worry about anything yeah yeah if there's one thing that we can all guarantee it's that we'll definitely die one day exactly exactly that was what i think abraham lincoln once said or i was told he once said obviously i wasn't there so i don't know two things you can be sure of in this life are i know, I know. Death that's the taxes and taxes right <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah i think we both we both can relate to that right so um yeah so it's very important to have things in place for sure perfect thank you so much julia i really appreciate the time you've dedicated to this You're very welcome. Very welcome. Happy to help. I am so grateful to Julia Fleetwood for coming on to this podcast episode and talking to us about wills and estate planning. If you'd like to get in touch with Julia to learn more about wills, estate planning, and essentially just getting your affairs in order, her details are in the show notes and also in the related resource. You'll have her email and her phone number so you can get right in touch. My key takeaways from this discussion were one, everyone needs a will. Even if you have no dependents, you want to have a say over how your hard-earned wealth is distributed. Even if all you have to your name is a few hundred pounds, your will would ensure that that money goes where you want it to go. Two, getting a will done professionally ensures that there are no errors on the will that could invalidate it. Three, 
If you have a complex financial or family situation, the probate process can take many weeks indeed, and even years before any finances are released to your loved ones. Probate is the legal and financial processes involved in dealing with assets of a person who has died. And finally, four, the laws of interstate, that is when you die without a will, may be quite different to what you expect. So I did a quick Google search after my conversation with Julia to see what would happen in a simple situation where you have a mom and a dad, two children that are both theirs, what happens to the money? And I thought by default, the surviving partner would get everything, but that's actually not so. They will get the property you own jointly if they are not tenants in common, but joint tenants. So if your house is in both your names and your joint tenants, your spouse will immediately inherit it. But actually all the wealth that you have, say in your ISAs, uh, that is only in your name or in your partner's name, doesn't go straight to the surviving spouse. Apparently only the first 270,000, and this number probably changes periodically, goes straight to the partner and everything above that, only 50% goes to the partner another half goes to your children. What? I was so shocked because me and my husband work hand in hand in building our asset base. And that would mean that if we didn't have our will in place, which we do, this hard earned money would go to the children when actually I would like my money to go to my husband because we've worked for it together, monthly, daily, budgeting. And my children have not had any part in this. And I wouldn't want them to get a lump sum of money that perhaps demotivates them from working hard so get a will get a will i hope you enjoyed this episode and that it gets you acting getting a will or updating your will or something else enjoy thanks so much for listening if you want to ask me a personal finance question please type themoneyspot.co.uk into your address bar and you'll be redirected to the exact page on my website where you can ask a question. There are three things I would love you to do. Why don't you have a look at my ebooks or courses? My property course is the top rated UK course on Udemy for people who want to begin to invest in property. My notes to debt freedom give you an A to Z guide on how you can go from debt to zero debt. And finally, my workbook B-School for money-wise, wealth-bound kids will be a fun book that you and your kid can go through together to start teaching them all the common sense things they need to know about money so that they never ever struggle with debt. The second thing I'd love you to do is to please rate me five star on Apple Podcast. And if I don't yet deserve your five star, please send me a message and let me know how I can earn your five star rating. And finally, if you're just loving what you're hearing and the value I'm putting out there, look into the show notes and buy your girl a coffee. Thank you. Have a great day. They said it wouldn't happen to me.